0: Welcome to Lo-Fi Electionary! Hey everyone, and welcome to Lo-Fi Electionary! I'm your host, Kevin Lester, and in the dark we climb the slope because the greatest thing of all is always hope. Goodbye, goodbye. Welcome uh, to the kitchen episode for Luke 14. Luke 14 was a really fun episode to do earlier this week. Uh, And then here in the kitchen episodes, though, I kind of allow myself to give a little bit more of my personal opinion as if we were just hanging out and chatting about what kind of struck us strongest from the last chapter if we had sat down and read it together. And um, this one was a little tricky. Um, I thought about taking it a couple different ways because Jesus continues to hit in the story um, as he kind of butts heads with people who are kind of the elites in his culture. So there's lots of themes that play in there. You know, one's about privilege and one's about, you know, um, you know, specifically as Jesus calls people to sacrifice to give up their possessions, things like that, ways you could take that. And I, I think that that could be a really great message um, for us today, particularly as, you know, in our social and political climate, you know, there's there's lots of stuff going on where I think, if we really took those ideas to heart, it might allow us to actually do some pretty great things and make some pretty amazing changes in creating a a just and good society um, and world for each other. But I actually kind of ended up thinking about going in a different way, a little bit more personal way. So um, we'll see how this goes. Um, and it kind of started with reading, this, reading the chapter one more time and thinking about, well... What jumps out at me personally? And way back at the very beginning of the chapter, I thought it was kind of interesting that Luke starts this next little section off with this Sabbath healing where Jesus is invited over uh, to a Pharisee's house to dine with Pharisees and the teachers and the leaders of the community. And it's on the Sabbath. And again, we have a moment where Jesus eyeballs someone who's before him who's in need. It's specifically a person with dropsy. And he asks the leaders, you know, hey, is it, is it okay to, to heal on the Sabbath? And they're silent this time. And then he goes ahead and he, it says he, he, he takes the man and heals him and then sends him off. And then he, he teaches the same teaching that we saw in a previous section where he says, you know, hey, if, if you had a child or an animal fall into the, the, you know, fall into a well, wouldn't wouldn't you go pull them out? Don't you care about them more than you care about keeping the Sabbath law? And the way he says that is really interesting. One, it's just quick to note that um, Jesus seems to understand that people have a reaction to things they care about, that they might decide that those things are more important than keeping the religious law, than keeping God happy with them in a sense, or that he's tapping into something innate about them that they actually maybe believe in their hearts that God understands and God would actually be happier with them for saving that animal or that child even if it means that they break the law. That maybe he's bringing out a theology within them that they've kind of maybe don't acknowledge all the time. And he's saying, hey, if this is what you already believe, then why don't we just live into that more fully? But What's interesting is that Luke, this is the third Sabbath healing passage that we get. Technically the fourth if you count the um in Luke four, Jesus, you know, casts a demon out of someone on a Sabbath. But we don't have this little like interaction between Jesus and the and the the leaders. Um but in in, in Luke Four, but we get it in Luke Six and we just had it in Luke 13 and each one of those are are moments where the people you know ask him questions and they challenge him on it and they they have a debate and stuff like that and here Luke has them just being silent and it's Jesus who kind of initiates it he's like hey is, isn't this a good thing to do and i wonder why you know if for Luke if if pen and paper is a precious commodity for Luke I mean, you know, a papyrus skull and ink and the time to write and the time for people to copy this, copy this, copy this, to, to send it out to people all throughout the Roman world, stuff like that is is as precious as we know it was. Why would he repeat this story a third time? And not even a time where it shows Jesus' opponents as being not understanding as being you know having animosity towards him or anything like that, it's a time where they're silent and they listen, and Jesus kind of more freely just acknowledges like isn't this what you think as well i i th- I think that's really interesting, and I tried to wrap my brain around that um because he he's already done it twice, and in fact in so as the more I thought about this. I thought about that Luke 4 passage where Jesus gives his first sermon and it's on a Sabbath and it's in a synagogue and it seems like the people want him to heal on the Sabbath. They want him to do a sign and Jesus says, I'm not going to do one here. There will be no healings today. There will be no miracles today because I know no matter what I do that you guys aren't going to accept me. And remember that 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 causes a, a big riot and he has to kind of escape. Jesus here though decides freely to heal on the Sabbath. Which maybe indicates something else. I mean, in the context of Luke, Jesus wouldn't do this healing if he didn't think it would be good for the person who got the healing, but also like a good sign for the people that are watching. It would be a good thing to do because maybe these people will see it And they'll do what they need to do to join the movement or to start making some changes or to live right or to start doing what Jesus is doing and being also others who go out and heal and love and take care of the poor and the needy. And if that's true, then Jesus here is kind of freely doing this this healing and he kind of has a moment of connection with these religious leaders. Like, hey, wouldn't you guys do the same? because he's again trying to win them over and not just trying but but he, that he has a lot of hope behind those attempts like he thinks this might work he believes there's good in them this is this is luke deciding not to fight you know against darth vader because he's like no there's there's good in him i can feel it you've failed eber you know um G- jesus believes in these people, that they can do what he's doing. And it's almost like he does the healing as kind of a model of like, hey, you guys would take care of your kids and animals. Like you guys should be all about this. You guys can do this too. Remember, Jesus is already continually shown again and again and again. When people follow him and he he becomes like their rabbi, their teacher, he empowers them and teaches them to do what he does. And he's inviting these religious leaders who have constantly opposed him in some ways to join up and to start doing what he's doing and the more i thought about that i was like oh that that changes how the i read the rest of the chapter in a sense like that that adds a lot of nuance to the story because if jesus here then freely engages in this teaching block that follows it it's his attempt to win them over that he has a lot of hope for. He actually thinks that this could work, right? So he starts teaching, but they're silent. You know, there's no argument. They don't challenge him or anything like that. So it's not like they've even asked for this, but Jesus is like, no, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to keep talking because this just might work. And so he teaches, and and there are these parables about banquets and invitations. And I started to notice the more and more I read this over the last week that um, the word invite or invited or inviting appears a whole bunch of times in just three paragraphs. It actually appears nine times. It happens again and again and again and again and again. And um, I try not to make too much of stuff like that because it could just be amazing coincidence, but it could also be a literary device by Luke. Um, or or if he's recording, you know, the actual verbatim words of Jesus, it could be a device by Jesus to bring home a message or a theme. And so I want to kind of consider that openly. So he tells these three stories about being invited. And first it starts off with Jesus saying, hey, when you're invited somewhere, don't take the high seat. Freely choose the low seat. Like, be humbled. You might get stuck there in the low seat, but that's not so bad, Jesus seems to think. But it might even be better because those who humble themselves find themselves being exalted. And again, um, the, the high and low exalted humbled language in Luke is a big, big, big key theme that happens again and again and again. It attaches all the way back to that song of Mary where she says, you know, the proud will be, will be lowered and he's going to lift the heads of the lowly. Um, and then we see it through all the themes in the first third of the book where everyone who approaches Jesus gets on the ground if they're doing the right thing. And then they kind of get invited to go along on the process with him and experience his favor in a way that other people don't have the opportunity to. Um, So Jesus is here inviting these, these elite, these elites, these religious leaders, these privileged folks, he's saying, please like humble yourselves, like go low, freely choose to go low. So that way you can be lifted up, which is really interesting. And then he follows that section when he talks about, hey, when you have a banquet, don't invite your rich friends, don't invite your relatives, don't invite people that can pay you back. Don't invite people as a scheme to get ahead, but instead join into God's scheme by showing favor to those who need it the most, the poor, the blind, the lame, and the crippled. Like, in, invite others, specifically those in the lowest status who can't pay you back and who will, who will not be able to help you progress in society at all. And who, in fact, to do so is actually going to only end up in hurting your place in the world and causing damage to your reputation. Invite those folks. And remember that he's speaking this to people up high. First, he says, please lower yourself. Then once you're low, you can become a conduit for God's favor in the world to people who most desperately need it. Isn't that interesting? And he thinks that this might work. He might actually win some of them over. And then he wraps it up with a third little parable about inviting, where God is the figure who invites and he says, this is what God like. God is like the one who invites everyone. But some people have found a better treasure and they'll turn down that invitation. But some people, the people at the bottom, are almost always ready to receive it. And so he kind of locks in this message he's already given. Please humble yourselves so you can be lifted up. Please join in on the work of inviting people at the low. And remember that you're being called to this because that is what God is like. And if you don't do it, you might miss God altogether. Like It's like a little three-act structure where Jesus is pleading for these people to make the right choice and to give up and be ready to sacrifice a lot of what they have and maybe even inviting them to experience a path That will lead them great pain, but will put them in a place where they can join in on experiencing and sharing the goodness and favor of God to people who need it most. Like, Jesus is trying to liberate not just the people on the bottom, but liberating the people at the top by inviting them to be humbled down to the bottom and then to be lifted up and lift up others with them. Isn't that... That's really fascinating to me. I think sometimes we're tempted to think that um, Christianity as a religion kind of only works if you're already privileged. Or on the other side, a lot of us kind of think that um, you know who who may be a little bit more progressive politically or theologically. Like we can become radicals. We can become you know liberation theologians who think that the gospel is really for the people at the bottom. What I find fascinating about Jesus is that he thinks the gospel is for everybody because the people up high need to be liberated and set free from something very powerful in the same way that people, in the same but a different way that people at the bottom need to be liberated and I find that interesting. I mean, Jesus is here attacking the social order. Like the kingdom of God that he's bringing into the world is going to be something very different than what they have. And in the kingdom of God, there's no ranking. Everyone maybe starts at the bottom, but everyone gets lifted up. And there's no maybe there's no better place to be at all. But to experience that, Jesus says, at the end, he has this teaching. He's like, yeah, you you might have to, to love some things less. And in doing so, you're going to ruin your reputation. And you might be loved and hated less. Or you might be loved less and hated more by others. And you might lose a lot. And you're going to offend a lot of people. And your house, when you have a meal, might be full of weirdos. <laughs> and people who don't have their lives all together. It might look like a big, big, giant mess. And you might have to, in fact, Jesus just says, anyone who wants to follow me is going to have to give up everything they have, all of their possessions, and be willing to possibly be hated. And he's saying this to people at the top. Like he sends the healed man away. That man has experienced the favor of God. He's free to go. And the teaching is for these leaders and then is overheard, as it says, you know, by the crowd that's following him. And so he's begging for them to come and he's trying to win them over. But at the same time, Jesus has to acknowledge the only way that you're going to get on board is by sacrificing greatly. I mean, like imagine Jesus looking at like a group of these people at the top. And even if he doesn't think he's going to get them all as one big group like he's planting a a message within the mind and the hearts of each of the individual people that know that they that this that his way is good and it is better but yes if you want to follow it you might have to leave the group you might have to be hated you might have to experience less joy now And some of the things you take joy in. And you might have to surrender everything you have, but you could do that now. You could get up and be the one to follow me. And you might have to leave the rest behind and that might be really bad. But Jesus seems to think that the sacrifices are worth it. And that's where the story really hits me. Like Jesus seems to think that like, yeah, giving up all your possessions is the better way to go. And not in like a cute way. Because she's just like, no, it's it's not going to be easier. It's going to be more painful. It's going to be harder. You might lose everything. And not just your possessions, but your standing, your family, your friends. You might lose it all. But it seems to be worth it. I mean, humbling yourself leads to something greater. You know, loving and showing favor to others, even if it causes you great trouble, is going to pay off in the end, Jesus says, like at the resurrection of the righteous, you know. Um, And Jesus seems to think that it's a better thing now, not just in the future. He's like, no, this is this is the way to live. Like we constantly are challenged by Jesus's ethical teachings and his 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 teachings about how to live morally and ethically and practically in the world. And the question we've asked a couple times before already is: Is is that any way to live? And Jesus seems to answer that with, "Well, are you really living? Because <laughs> isn't this the only way to truly live?" And I, I think that that's really tough because there's times in my life where I have to sit back and go, "Is, is that the best way?" I mean, I even think again, like I try, I, I try and find a way to make this story of Jesus a story that you can connect with and engage with and be questioned by and find something good and and life giving in even if you're not particularly religious. Um, so we have to think about this way of Jesus of of giving up reputation, of giving up social standing, of giving up the the material things you have of walking away that might look and actually be something like picking up a cross and walking towards your death in order to care for, people who are in the most desperate need and in order to demonstrate a different way of living is is it worth it i mean there are some days where i'm like yeah no this is this is the best way to live you know like i mean i ch- i chose a life of a career in church ministry you know and there are some days where um you know I'll, I'll 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 teach something or lead a program or or counsel someone or pray with someone or or just hear about a story of something else that happens in our community that might have nothing to do with me where i'm like yeah this is this is the life you know it, it hasn't led to a lot of great things that i would have wanted for my life but this is it this is way better that sacrifice was was worth it but there are some days where the program fails and the volunteer quits and the kids hate my lessons and hate my games or the games, or they don't even show up in the first place to tell me that they hate it. Or where it's just too hard and I have to sit with people who have been through horrible apocalyptic tragedies. Or I find myself getting hurt and kicked the crap out of my life myself but I'm the only one there. And there's no one there for me, you know, or something like that. There's a lot of painful moments in doing that kind of work. And there's a lot of painful moments just in life in general. And sometimes it's like, well, I've, I've been trying to do this right and live lovingly and generously. And I've said no to a lot of things to say yes to a lot of things. And was it worth it? And there's some days where I'm like, yeah, I I think so because I have hope for a greater thing around the corner. And there are some other days where I I actually sit with I don't I don't think it is. And maybe this is the end of the road for that for me. Maybe this is where I I stop and turn and try something else because this way is just too hard and too painful. Um I mean, because we can look at a lot of heroes who do a lot of amazing things um, and who do a lot of sacrificial things. But if they're heroes, you know, then maybe it paid off in the end. Maybe they ended up starting a program that did a lot of amazing good and they got on the news and we see it and we're like, wow, amazing. Or maybe they wrote a book about it and we're like, wow, amazing. Or maybe they now give teachings at leadership conferences or they have a a podcast that takes off, (laughs) you know, or, or something like that. And we can see, yeah, it all paid off for them. Or maybe there's even people whose lives themselves didn't go well. People who were martyred or or who died standing up for their beliefs. Or trying to live a more just way in the world. Or who spent their lives to horrible, painful ends trying to do something great. But now, in retrospect, we were like, they were right. And there are monuments to those people And their teachings and their words have been found and recorded and preserved. And you can buy them at any gas station, you know. Um, You know, people can become memes even when their lives didn't go well. And we can maybe look at that and say, wow, it it was worth it. Because in the end, look at what the impact of their life was. It swept through history and bent the arc of the universe more greatly towards justice and love. But what about people who spend their lives doing work that's uncomfortable, that's painful, and and we never hear a peep about them? What do we do with that? and cuz i work i i work with and know a lot of people who do that kind of work like i mean there's there's certainly famous people who work for justice and who do you know ministry to people on the fringe but for every one of those people there's countless thousands of people who work at homeless shelters that will never know and will never write books you know even in the church world i mean Some pastors start small and are smart and wise and are loving and are courageous and their church grows and we ask them to write a book and then we all buy the book and then we all read the book and then we go to their speaking tour and then they they launch. And for every one of those people, there's a courageous, smart, loving, caring pastor who no one will ever hear about and will die in obscurity and their church will never grow and they'll never see the fruits from their labor you know um and i i want it's it's hard but there's part of me that wants to go ask those people is it is it worth it cuz i'm hoping that they've found something that they can tell me that when i have a crisis of conscience or of trust, or of favor in the world, where I wonder, I don't know if this is worth it, that maybe they'll have something to say that can help me just make it one more day. And I wonder for you, are you doing what you think is good and right in the world? And has that caused you any pain? And what have you had to leave behind? And what have you had to sacrifice because it seems like the next step, for those of us that try our best to cross it, always involves leaving something big or leaving a dream behind or leaving just a want behind or leaving comfort behind. And maybe we don't get that back, but I would ask you, Was it? Is it worth it now? Or do you think it'll be worth it in the end? And maybe we could sit over a over a cup of peppermint tea like I've got right now and share stories. And I would hope that you could say something that I would go, oh, me too, you know? And uh, I hope in sharing a little bit of my story that if you've ever felt the same way, that maybe you've been able to go, Kevin too. Okay, we're in this together. So, um, so yeah, what I, what I mean, I guess just to end this, I mean, one of the things that I do love about Jesus, Jesus never, Jesus never asks us to pretend. I mean, Jesus doesn't teach a theology and a way of looking at the world that says, yeah, you, uh, you do what's right. You be generous, you be loving, and you'll get it back tenfold, you know, um, you do what's right and generous and loving and everything will go well. And haters gonna hate, but there's you're, you're gonna be just fine. Don't worry, you know? Like, he does ask people to not worry. He does people to not be afraid. But he also, like, basically tells people it's gonna hurt. You know? I mean, like, the power of positive thinking is good. It's something I've worked on over the last number of years, you know? And I've, I've had to develop new health practices and stuff like that to become a more positive person who's less fearful. And I have seen it pay off, but... Jesus never asks us to live under an illusion that like you know just doing the right thing and staying positive will you'll always be okay, you know um I mean, Jesus almost does the exact opposite He's like you do what's right in the world and you're carrying a beam on your back, and you're headed towards a hill, but you're in good company, and it is what's right. And it is the only way to live. And look closely. And I hope you'll see the favor that's upon you. And that's worked through you within that. So for those of us, or those of you, because I, I don't, I don't want to speak to you out of myself. Never make yourself the hero of your own story or message. Um, something I was taught in seminary. For those of you that are on that path whether you're a jesus person or not, whether you're a religious person or not, whether you're a spiritual person or not. If you're trying and you're giving and you've sacrificed in order to share with others, in order to lift up the lowly. If it hurts, if you feel alone, if it feels like there's a, the weight of the beam on your back is just pressing you down, you're not alone. And you might not see it, but I have hope that the favor of God is upon you and is real for at least one more day. And even if there's never a statue of you, and if there's never a collection of your of your witty and clever and wise and loving sayings, and if the minute you die on this earth you're forgotten in an instant, I hope that you would say that it was worth it. And I'm challenged along with you by a Jesus in the story that says, "Oh, it's worth it." Be well, my friends. I'm uh I'm looking forward to to Luke 15 next week. I peeked ahead, I cheated. It's going to be good. So, I'll see you back here. Thanks for for sticking around in the kitchen. Take care. Hi, everyone. I just want to say a quick thank you to you for listening to this episode of Lo-Fi Lectionary. If you liked the podcast, please help us out. You can review, subscribe, and share the podcast any way you can. Um, The more people we get in on the game, the funner this is going to be. If you want to participate in the discussion for this episode, you can come visit our website at kevinlester.net and follow the links to the podcast and then to the link for this episode. Um, you can also find our podcast on Facebook, and we can discuss and, and keep things going on there. Uh, just search Facebook for Lo-Fi Electionary, and you'll find us. You can also get in touch with me, Kevin, directly at lofi at net, and that's lofi with no dash, so L-O-F-I at net. And you can also find me on Twitter at lofi kevin with no dash again, so at lo-fi kevin. Um That's kind of it, so thank you for coming, and we'll see you guys next episode.